Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. While we're in our series on the book of Revelation, and uh, tonight is uh, session 65 on the two witnesses. And what we've been doing, for those of you who are just joining us tonight uh, in this uh, series, instead of doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Revelation, we're doing a theme-by-theme study. And uh, that's been kind of a fun journey that we've been on. I'm having a heck of a time with this thing. All right, there we go. And uh, so tonight, as we look at the two witnesses, um, our, our hope really isn't to walk out of here as pros on the two witnesses. It's to be able to picture where they fall in the end time storyline. It's to know enough about, you know, who they are and what their ministry is and what their purpose and function is that as we read through the book of Revelation and really as we study the end times altogether, we've got them written into the storyline in our minds and in our hearts, that we're imagining the end times with these two witnesses in that story. Uh, And that's really kind of the hope tonight. So uh, part one here uh, in the notes, and guys, there's nine pages of notes. We're not going to get through them all. We're just going to kind of highlight some points. These notes are really more of a study tool for you to go back and read later. Uh, We have them available online as well uh, just to go deeper. So I'm just going to be kind of highlighting some of these points tonight before you guys get into your discussion time. So these two guys exist. They are real. They are not uh, figments of our imagination. They will be two literal men on the earth living, doing men stuff. They will be alive and speaking and interacting and walking because they're humans. They're real people. What I want to uh, point out tonight that uh, is a continuation really from last couple of sessions that we've done is that where the two witnesses fall in the end time storyline in in the book of Revelation is they fall in Revelation chapter 11. Well, for those of you who've been tracking with us, we just did a couple of sessions out of Revelation chapter 10. We were talking about the seven thunders. We were talking about the forerunner ministry. And it's not by accident at all that chapter 11 comes right after chapter 10. And that right after introducing the forerunner ministry, we're now looking at the two forerunners of the forerunner ministry. We're looking at the two primary forerunners in the earth in the final generation. They won't be the only ones, but they will absolutely be the premier picture of what it means to be a forerunner. So really, the, the, the chapter break between chapter 10 and 11, in my opinion, I mean, it's helpful so that we've got a bunch of chapters and we can find verses. But there's no reason for a chapter break, in my opinion, between chapter 10 and 11, because it's one flow of thought in relationship to the forerunner ministry at the end of the age. So that's what we're looking at here, is we're looking now at the two primary forerunners. And so as we were studying the forerunner ministry, what do they do? What do they say? What are they about? These two guys are going to uh, embody that lifestyle, that message as the most like model citizens of the forerunner ministry. So uh, you want to be really connecting those ideas all together instead of thinking of the two witnesses as a brand new subject. It's really a carryover of the forerunner message that we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks. Okay, well, let's keep going here. I gave you a couple other verses of where the two uh, witnesses show up in the scripture. Bottom of page one, if you want to go look at them, you can find those verses. It's in uh, Zechariah 4 and then also Daniel chapter 12, just a couple of other places. However, I will tell you that for those of you who are, you know, looking at this or going to spend a little more time looking at it later, the term two witnesses only exists here in Revelation chapter 11. 
Now you see, it's clearly the same two guys in those other passages. The, uh, the language is unmistakable. But as far as them being called two witnesses, it's the only location that we have it. So whenever you hear people talk about that theme, the two witnesses, the two end time prophets that are you know, going to be witnesses for God, they are most directly referencing Revelation chapter 11 and no other place directly. Okay, So just a little freebie there. All right, so let's identify uh, these two witnesses. Uh, the Zechariah uh, passage that I just told you exists there at the bottom of page one. I'm referencing it a little bit here at the top of page two if you're in the notes. Let's look at the identity of these two witnesses. The attention goes on to describing these two forerunners. Now again, we were just in chapter 10. It's all about the forerunner ministry at the end of the age. We just looked at the seven thunders and that's how that wraps up in the whole forerunner message. And now we've got a particular two forerunners that are highlighted and it says this of them, Revelation chapter 11, verse 4, they are the two olive trees, the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. That's the direct language right out of Zechariah. Uh, it's that same exact language. These are the two lampstands. These are the two olive trees. This is like the this is that prophecy. These are now, these two witnesses, this is John being told, these are the two guys that all of human history has been waiting for. Whether they knew it or not, it was in their Bibles. They just got to read it. These are the two. These are the two olive trees. These are the two lampstands. These are the two that stand before the Lord of the earth. And so John must be alerted at this point. He's recognizing these are the two guys that have been prophesied. And I just imagine John in that moment kind of leaning in to learn more information because that's what keeps happening to him in the book of Revelation. He's getting additional insights about Old Testament ideas. He's being shown again and again themes from the Word, from the Old Testament, but now he's being told new ideas. So I just imagine him as he's being told, John, these are the two guys. These are the two. I just imagine John leaning in and paying attention to the details, and it's awesome because we're given a bunch more details here in Revelation chapter 11 that we weren't given previously in other uh, passages. First, Revelation 11.3, they're appointed by God. Look at this. And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. I will appoint. This is the Lord calling in that generation. He's appointing. He's uh, designating. They're from the Lord. They're like his two guys that he has got a very specific assignment for. You know, I can't think of too many assignments, kind of like none, that there's only two job openings for in the kingdom of God. You know, there's like what? I mean, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. I mean, you pick it. There's at least more than two job openings. The two witnesses, there's only two, and they're God's two witnesses. He says, I will appoint them. These two guys, I am going to appoint them. They're going to be mine, and they will prophesy. They're two end-time prophets. Look at the uh, Revelation 11.10, part F there. These two prophets had done some stuff, and we'll talk about what they do in a minute, but I just want to focus on that. These two prophets they are not going to just be men. They're not going to just be witnesses. They're going to be prophets like Moses and Elijah caliber prophets, okay? We are going to see the, 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 uh, the picture that we see in the Old Testament of what did a prophet in their generation look like, do, operate, and even where. We're going to see those guys again, and they're going to be on TV. Like, we're going to actually see these guys with our eyeballs, and it is going to be crazy incredible. I mean, that is going to be such a massive thing. It's going to have such impact on the church. When the church sees 
the two biggest human heroes imaginable operating in their calling and destiny, it is going to give such strength to the church. We're going to look at that and go, these are the two from God. These are the two Zechariah lampstands, the two olive trees. These are the two. And they're in their lane and they're doing what they do. They're prophesying and they are, my oh my, are they operating in power. We'll talk about that in just a minute. One point I want to make that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, I'd encourage you to go, if this is a subject that's either new to you or that you're interested in, I'd encourage you to go and look at their connection to the temple. Okay, again, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but just a quick, real quick on this. Revelation 11.1, 1, which is the introduction of the two witnesses, it says, I was given a read, like a measuring rod, and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar. The reason I bring that up is because these two witnesses are going to show up in the final generation, and they're going to be highlighted in the Great Tribulation period. And it says that their ministry is connected to the temple, but right now in 2021, there is no temple in Jerusalem. There will be a physical temple built in Jerusalem, and these two witnesses will be very much connected geographically to that temple. It's not that they will never do anything else, but let's remember, just as a little point of reference, the Antichrist is going to set up his headquarters in that temple. It just so happens on his front porch are the two prophets of God. That is just really troublesome for him. That is going to be a real problem as we read a little bit more here. All right. Let's keep going. Let's go down to uh, part three, the timing of their testimony. I just want to spend a couple of minutes on this, get us, get us thinking about this a little bit. We're given a significant amount of detail, and you know, the Word of God doesn't just throw out details for no reason. Like, the, the details matter. We're supposed to pay attention. We're supposed to believe them. We're supposed to pray about them and ask God for additional insight. Every phrase in the word of God is an invitation to get more clarity from God. You just press in and go, Holy Spirit, speak to me. It's the living word. Give me more revelation. We're given a significant amount of details. I'm just thinking here, kind of off the cuff. I can't think of too many things or people or events that were given this much timing detail about a single person or event or a couple of guys I can't think of too many places in the whole word where we're given this much timing information in so short number of verses. That, that's not uh, accidental. We're supposed to actually look at those details and believe what they say. First, exclude the outer court. I'm top of page uh, four here if you're in the notes. Exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. We're told 42 months. Well, 42 months is three and a half years if you do the math. So it's three and a half years. But then it says, Revelation 11.3, this is the very next verse. Revelation 11.2 followed. Revelation 11.3 is the next verse. It says this, I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Well, 1260 days is the same as 42 months. We're talking about three and a half years here. We're being told very clearly the period of their prophesying is the great tribulation period. It is the final three and a half years. 42 months, 1260 days, uh, we're told a little bit later, it's actually three and a half years. It's time, times, and half a time. We are told very clearly, these two witnesses are going to show up on the scene and they are going to cause all sorts of havoc for three and a half years. And it's not a random three and a half years, it's the three and a half years. It's the final three and a half years where the Antichrist is ruling and reigning and he is showing his teeth, so to speak, 
He is doing his absolute worst. It's at that time that the Lord is answering the Antichrist with the most powerful expression of the forerunner ministry in the history of the earth. These two prophets will be on the front porch of the Antichrist answering the Antichrist aggression. It is during this three and a half years. There's that time, times, and half a time uh, again. Uh, I don't want to go into that right now. We'll just keep going. All right. Uh, deliverance during the three and a half years, Revelation 12, 14. We're told that what's going to happen to uh, the people of Israel, and it's, it won't be all of them because there's actually, when you study Israel in the end times, you can actually identify about five different groups that have about five different destinies that are going to be having you know different things happening to them uh, during the end times. So there's remnants kind of going different directions. But one of those remnants, it says that the... Uh, uh, that they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be taken out into the desert for three and a half years. So I want you to just kind of get this picture here. Israel is being protected for the three and a half years that the Antichrist is ruling and reigning and doing his worst. It's the same three and a half years that the two witnesses are going to be the heroes of the faith in Jerusalem fighting the good fight of faith in a very public way. I mean, in the loudest public way imaginable, we are talking about a very dramatic scene that is occurring here during that period of time. Well, let's talk about how these guys operate. They are attested by signs and wonders like woe. Let's look at this, top of page five. I will give power to my two witnesses, Revelation eleven three. Top of page five, I will give power to my two witnesses. So God's saying, I've got the power and I'm gonna give it to my two witnesses. And then he goes on to describe what giving the power to these two guys is going to look like, and man, does it get crazy. I mean, in the way that you look at the Antichrist taking hold of the world with a, with a death grasp and causing such chaos and, and pain, you've got these two guys with just such power operating out of them that's going to cause such hope and stir up faith and, and be such a witness. Again, you want to be thinking of these two guys very much in that line of thought of like Moses and Elijah. All right. Well, it says that they will prophesy wearing sackcloth. Now, can you just picture this in 2021? Let's give it 20 years. Let's say it's 20 years out. I don't know how far out it is. But say it's 20, you know, 41. Can you imagine two dudes in Jerusalem wearing sackcloth that like take themselves seriously as prophets? Who are you? Oh, I'm witness one. How about you? You'll never guess. Witness two. You guys got first names? Yeah, we don't go by them anymore. We're just the witnesses. Yeah, I can tell you're wearing sackcloth. Who does that? These two guys are going to be wearing sackcloth. That's not proverbial. It's, I mean, they're actually going to be living the John the Baptist reality, the John the Baptist lifestyle, the prayer and fasting, the mourning, the lifestyle of a prophet. I mean, this is going to be so intense and so peculiar in that hour. As odd as sackcloth would be today, it will be weirder 20 years from now. So whenever these dudes show up, whenever the time is right, they're going to be wearing sackcloth. That's a really interesting description that didn't have to be thrown in there. We're going to be able to identify them that way. That's part of the way that we're going to be able to identify it. Nobody go buy sackcloth and try to be a witness. How about this? Fire comes out of their mouths. Yeah, that's a problem. Look at this. Revelation 11.5, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes out from their mouths and devours their enemies this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Can you just imagine these guys? No wonder they wear sackcloth like a baller. They're like, I know when I open my mouth, I can strike you down with fire. I'll wear whatever I want. Thank you very much. 
These two guys breathe fire, and it strikes people down. That's intense. That is a sign and a wonder. It says, this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Do you know how many people want to harm these two guys? Everybody. Everybody that's not walking with Jesus is going to want to harm these two guys. These guys are definitely trouble. And it says anyone that wants to harm them, they speak and fire comes out of their mouth and it strikes people down. They have power to proclaim worldwide drought. That's crazy. That's Elijah style. But Elijah, when he declared a drought, it was localized. That drought that Elijah declared was very limited in its geography. But look what it says about these guys. Revelation 11.6, top of page 6. They have power. Because remember, God said, these are my two witnesses. I will give them power. They got power. To shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. It will not rain. To shut up the heavens. They have power to stop rain from happening. You know, that goes back all the way to the, uh, to the ark. I mean, we're talking about power over rain is a really, really big deal to God. There was no rain. It had never rained before, and then all of a sudden it started raining, and that's how the world got flooded. Here now you got a guy It's like, oh, you know how it's been raining? You guys have been used to rain? Yeah, we're just going to stop that during the time that we're prophesying. So it doesn't say it outright, but the case could be made that we're talking about a global three-and-a-half-year drought. It doesn't say it outright, so you got to take that with a little grain of salt. It just says they have power to shut up the heavens so they will not rain during the time that they are prophesying. So we don't exactly know how that's going to flesh out, but if they wanted it to be zero rain for three and a half years, they could. And I can tell you this, for sure they're going to be operating in this power at some level, in some places, at some times. They can also turn the waters to blood. This is in addition to the trumpet judgments. This is in addition to the bowls of wrath that are going to come uh, at the tail end of their ministry at the end. It says they have power to turn the waters to blood. I mean, that's Moses-level stuff back during the time of the Exodus. You just look at the water and go, water be blood, and all of a sudden it's blood. They have power to turn water to blood. That's, that's unfathomable and disgusting. They have the most disgusting anointing I could possibly imagine. It's like, man, why not turn it to, like, you know, juice box? You know what I mean? It's like... Turn it to blood. Ugh. But they have power to do that. And we just have to recognize these are God's two witnesses. They're only anointed with stuff God wants to come out of them. They're not anointed with just willy-nilly whatever they want. They're anointed with power from God to do God's stuff. So part of what they're going to do as part of their ministry is they're going to turn water to blood. They can strike the earth with every plague imaginable. Look at this. Revelation eleven six. They have power to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Oh my God, strike the earth. Did you catch that? Not Jerusalem, not the Middle East, the earth. Like, hey, witness one, what do you want to do today? Let's strike the earth with something. What do you want to strike it with? Smelly feet. Let's do smelly feet today. They can strike the earth with whatever plague comes to mind. Man, you just better hope those guys aren't tricksters. Man, if they grew up like me, we're going to all end up like mess of hurt, you know? These guys have the power to strike the earth with whatever plague they want. That is crazy crazy level of authority because that then goes beyond the specifics turn the water to blood you know shut up the heavens it's now hey you two guys what do you want to do today oh my gosh that's power 
That is authority. You just hope these guys have legitimately been living the forerunner lifestyle, growing up in a house of prayer or something, and have learned humility in the Sermon on the Mount. You better hope they got all those tools to temper the power that's being given to them, because otherwise, them going even a little rogue one day is just going to cause problems. Because it says they have got power to strike the earth, the whole planet, seven continents, with whatever plague they decide as frequently as they like. That's powerful. Now, can you just imagine, we are going to be cheerleading the snot out of these guys. As the, as the Antichrist is doing his stuff, the church is going to be celebrating, go, yeah, those are my boys. Look what they did. Did you hear what they did today? Oh, man, I heard it was crazy. There's going to be such a spirit of encouragement coming to the church, and much needed, much needed. A big piece of the reason it's going to be such an encouragement Oh my gosh, this is unfathomable. Revelation chapter uh, 11, 5 through 7, they cannot be captured. Can you just imagine me, the Antichrist, and you've got the two guys you hate the most, and they're in your city. They're like right outside your door. Their ministry is connected to the temple. You've set up your international global headquarters at the temple, and you know, 72 yards out there are the two witnesses, and no matter what you try, you can't get them. I mean, it's like Tom and Jerry. Tom just can't get that mouse. He's like, these two witnesses, and they're constantly blundering everything, and there's such a pain in the butt, and they can't be captured. Let's look what it says. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone wants to harm them must die. Now, when they finish their testimony, and that's the key, not until. When they finish the testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower them, and kill them, but not until. And we know they prophesy for 42 months. They prophesy for 1260 days. It's three and a half years. For three and a half years, these guys are untouchable on the front porch of the Antichrist. Oh, we are going to be so encouraged. We're just going to laugh our tails off. These guys are going to be the biggest pain in the tuchus for the Antichrist, where, where everywhere else he turns, he's able to do this, and he's conquering, he's doing all this. He's got these two guys right there in front of him, and CNN is reporting it. You know, it's like, it's happening right there, day after day, the two witnesses right there, and he can't do anything about it. Oh my gosh, we're going to be so excited. We're going to be so encouraged, because it's going to be such an obvious display of who's really in charge. It's going to be such an overt statement of who God is, who God's prophets are, the purposes of God, the validity of the Bible, Revelation chapter 11 being for real, and that then giving us faith that Revelation 10 and all the other Revelation passages, that are real. As we're watching the two witnesses be exactly who the Bible told us ahead of time that they would be. When you're thinking end times, you had better make sure you got the two witnesses in your plan. You got to have them in your storyline. Don't be thinking, woe is me. Be thinking, woe is Antichrist. That poor guy, he's got two witnesses he just can't handle. I mean, we need to be processing that. These guys are part of the story. It's awesome. We're supposed to see this and it be, be a pre-party in our heart. Like just getting ready because, man, there's a lot of pre-death in our heart too. Man, there's a lot coming that is not going to be fun. We need to be having that pre-party, looking at this and going, Revelation 11 is incredible. It is such hope and power for the church. These guys are a huge menace to society. They're attested by an audible voice. Another one of those little 
you know, Bible survey things, there's not too many places we see the audible voice of God show up and start talking to humans on the planet. It's happened a few times, but it's not like all the time in the word. These guys hear the word from heaven, come up here. They're, they are spoken to from heaven. And upon their exit, there's a severe earthquake. You know, the worst thing is when you've got these guys that you just can't get rid of and you finally do, and as soon as they're gone, something worse happens. It's kind of the worst. You know, it's one of those little exclamation points from heaven of God just going, I am so in charge. I am so uh, the owner of this situation and the entire storyline. It says from that, at that very hour, this is the hour when they are actually told, come up here and they come up there. This very hour, there's an earthquake and a tenth of the city collapses. They are known for tormenting the Antichrist's administration. Look at Revelation 11, verse 10. These two prophets who had tormented those who live on the earth. They have the ministry of tormenting. The tormentors. I mean, the church is gonna celebrate these guys. The world will not be so excited. The world's like, man, we can't be excited about this. They turned the water off. And then when they found water, they turned it to blood. And then they did that weird feet plague. That was a weird one. I mean, the world will not be happy about these guys. And so they're called those that torment the world. All right, let's look at the circumstances of their death. We'll go pretty quickly through this here. But I do want to get to a couple of points. These guys are going to die. They will die. There's no avoiding that. That's also part of the storyline. When their testimony is complete and not until, not one moment before, the beast, the Antichrist, will attack them, overpower them, and kill them. Just imagine the Antichrist that day. We got to recognize, too, Satan knows the Bible and the Antichrist will as well. And while he knows his final fate is sealed, he'll definitely know this verse. And I just imagine he'll be telling his guys, you know, in their morning uh, meeting for the day, okay, today's the day I get to kill him. Let's go out there. I mean, I got all this pomp. Let's go for it. Because he actually has an appointed day where he gets to appear to have victory over these two guys. But it's only after they finish their testimony. I just want to make sure that's really clear. It says their bodies will lie in the street of the city. It's talking about Jerusalem. Their bodies will lie in the street. And so it's, you just got to imagine, like, this is such a point of victory and celebration and, and just uh, uh, defiling, you know, of these two bodies, of these two prophets. It's like, no, we're not going to bury them. We're going to leave them out here and let everybody see we finally killed these two guys that have been such a giant pain in the tuchus. Their bodies will lie in the streets and they will be refused burial. We will not bury these two men, the Antichrist and his, his governmental officials will say, and they will gloat over them. Revelation 11, verse 10. The inhabitants of the earth, the whole earth, will hear the two witnesses are finally dead. And they will gloat over them and celebrate by sending each other gifts. When was the last time the planet was so excited about two people, good or bad, that everybody started sending each other gifts? Like, oh, it's gift day. Why? The two guys are dead. We finally got them. I mean, this is talking about the level of intricate involvement in all the social institutions and, and government and politics and economics. These guys are going to really, really be causing problems to the point that when they're dead, the world celebrates and starts sending each other gifts in celebration of these two men's death. They are so excited. These guys are dead. 
and then they raise from the dead. It's the worst. There is nothing worse than killing them and them coming back to life. It would have been better if they'd never died. At least, at least then we were just used to the problem. Now we got all excited. We got rid of them. We sent gifts. I got to keep the gift receipt and send that thing back. <laughs> These guys raised from the dead. The world will be beside itself. The Antichrist will be fuming. They raise from the dead in the most public way imaginable. See, because remember a minute ago, their bodies were left in the streets so everybody could go, ha ha, we got them. And now, you know, after three and a half days, you know, the birds and the people and the misfits and everybody, those bodies won't look like they did when they fell down. There'll be some problems about them. All of a sudden, the breath of God comes into them and they rise and they look around and everybody freaks out of their mind. Because the two guys, the, most, the two most notorious, infamous, the absolute worst two guys in human history just rose from the dead in full view of everybody. For three and a half days, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. But after three and a half days, they stood to their feet, feet and a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. They are raptured right in front of everybody and their mom. They are right there, they raise from the dead, and then when they raise from the dead, a voice from heaven after they've raised from the dead, it's after, not before, they raise from the dead and a voice from heaven says, hey, come up here. And they just kind of look around at all these bewildered, fuming people that are so mad and are so like, it's not just mad, it's so defeating. I mean, how terrible is that? They just spent all this energy killing these guys. They finally won, and now boom, they're back to life like it was nothing. And they just kind of wink at all, their, all the enemies, I guess. And then they go up right in front of everybody. And everybody sees it, so they can't even punch them. They're like so mad, these guys just got raptured right before. Now, listen, I want to give you a little bit of timing on this. These two guys raised from the dead at the end of the 1260 days. It's actually 1260 days plus three and a half days, because that's what we're told. So 1260 plus three and a half. I believe that three and a half, because we know in the 1260 days, that's the end of the great tribulation period. That's the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet has occurred at the end of the three and a half year period. That's what ends the end of that three and a half year period, and the second coming of Jesus occurs. So when the seventh trumpet happens, the great tribulation in its whole three and a half year period thing is over. I think what's happening for these three and a half days is Jesus is circling the earth. And it's taking some time. We need to be understanding, it says every eye will see Jesus. It's not Jesus appears in the sky and the entire planet, because it's round, the entire planet doesn't just get raptured from the other side of the planet. It says every eye will see him. The idea is he's coming around the earth, and as he's coming around, he's low enough in the sky, people see him, and that's when the rapture happens. I think what's happening here, and you can, you know, have your own opinion on this, I think what's happening here is the timing of the rapture has actually already started three and a half days prior, and he just hasn't made it over Jerusalem yet. Now he's making it over Jerusalem, and these two guys are raptured because this is the timing of the rapture. This is when the rapture is occurring in this same time frame. So I think that it's actually Jesus is, he's, the timing is just perfect. He's making it over Jerusalem. Come up here. And these two guys go up, but it's not just them. It's my opinion that it's the church at that time. Okay. 
Well, it says this, as this occurs, then we'll break into groups. It says, terror, terror struck those who saw them. The world will be struck with terror. It's not just sad, it's the revelation. These are God's dudes. We killed them, finally. They were indestructible for three and a half years. You just imagine how many dudes' bodies are laying around out there that got burnt with fire from their mouths? I mean, three and a half years is a long time, and it says, this is how everyone must die who wants to harm them. How many times does somebody try to do that? Just twice? In three and a half years? Just two times. Five times? Fifty? Oh, you got this guy over here. He's like, no, I know. If I just come up behind him, fire, dead. How many times in three and a half years do people try to harm them and die? You got all these people that have died. And these two guys raised from the dead. And when they do, terror strikes those who see them. Listen, here's my point tonight. I just want us understanding these two guys, as they're depicted in the word, are going to be heroes in the faith, and they will encourage the heck out of the church, and they are part of the end time storyline that you want to make sure when you're thinking end times, you're thinking the unfolding of the great tribulation events, that you've got these two guys firmly inserted into the storyline. All right, so let's break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got today? All right, hopefully you guys have wrapped up your questions. We're good. We're recording and uh, streaming now on Facebook Live. So at this point, and YouTube. So at this point, uh, what we'll do is uh, we'll go around and we'll do uh, one question per group. I'll repeat the question as best as I can so that those that are watching uh, either uh, online now or see this later get to hear your question as well. So we'll go ahead and start over here with Christy. Okay, so is your child one of the two witnesses? <clears throat> I mean, I will say this. Somebody's answer is yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, Mary got the shock of her life, you know. Uh, so, okay, the question was uh, twofold. When will we know that the two witnesses are the two witnesses? And second, just kind of a practical living in the last generation question should we be raising our kids as though they are, as or could be? Um, so I'll touch the, the first one first. I think that much like the Antichrist, there's going to be some things about him growing up that are like, this guy has got something interesting about him. But the actual moment that the church will know is when he signs the seven-year peace treaty. And the, the rest of the world that's not paying as close of attention uh, will know when he breaks the peace treaty at the three-and-a-half-year mark, and now it's the beginning of the Great Tribulation. That's when everybody will for sure know, know, know that it's the Antichrist. I think similarly, these two witnesses, because we're told that the time of their prophesying, the time of their most overt public ministry, is three-and-a-half years. It's the start of the Great Tribulation. I think that there might be some indications. Some people might know. I'm sure they've got a little bit of the word of the Lord growing up, like, hey, this is one of those you know deals. Uh, I think that it will. there might be some signs there, but as far as the fullness of knowing for sure, it's at the beginning of the three and a half years when they are appointed and anointed, and then they start to annoy the heck out of the Antichrist. 
Um, so I think that's the most uh, public form. As far as, you know, raising our kids, I think that the reason that Revelation 11, the, the passage on the two witnesses, is connected to Revelation chapter 10, the whole thought process of the foreigner generation, you know, being raised up, is that we're very much supposed to be thinking it's now time to raise our kids different. And whether they're one of the two witnesses or they're one of the million or 10 million or whatever number of million forerunners that are going to be operating in a like sort but a lesser degree of those two witnesses in local, you know, expressions. We just got to recognize this. While there's going to be two witnesses in Jerusalem, God cares about the whole planet. There's going to be forerunners operating in power and authority of a sort, of a likeness to those two witnesses all over the earth. And they're going to be raised up in communities and, and by godly moms that are thinking and very much preparing them for the end of the age and are talking to them you know, about their destiny in this generation from a very young age, that this is a forerunner generation. So I don't know that it would be uh, good. We might wind up uh, instilling a little bit too much pride in our children, telling them, Johnny, you're one of the two witnesses. I can see a hot mess coming, and, uh, and my goodness, the emails. So... Um, but I think that us treating our children like end-time forerunners that matter is essential. And so it's very much, I mean, if it really be that Jesus is coming back while we're alive, while many of us are still alive, it is unacceptable to live any other way. It is unthinkable that we would raise our kids like normal Americans. That's just totally not going to work. It's a disservice to them. It's, it's cruelty to them to not prepare them for what is actually coming in their lives. It's cruelty. And so we need to very much be taking these, these things seriously. And that's why we got kids in the room tonight. And we got kids in all the stuff that we do. Because we want to be training the kids to be thinking, this is my future. And whether that's 10, 20, 50 you know, years out, we don't know the answer to that. But it's very much their future, and we want to be preparing them for it. So great questions. Awesome. Let's go to Andy. So the different thought processes on who are the two witnesses, their like identity. Uh, there is a group of people, I mean, lots of people, that would say it is absolutely Moses and Elijah come back. Um, I don't see any reason that that has to be the case, but I also don't see reason why I guess it couldn't happen. Uh, it's just, uh, there's, there's a bunch of people that hold to that very dogmatically, and it's, it's, uh, I don't think that they, there's room to be dogmatic about that. I think, I think there's room to speculate and go maybe, and I can see some of the reasoning, but there's nothing that says that that's the case. So, uh, you know, are they those two guys? Uh, it could be. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll be surprised. It's Moses and, and Elijah. Hey, Mo, what's going on, man? Good to see you. I mean, maybe that's how that will go. I don't, that's not my personal take. I think it will be uh, people in this generation, just like the Antichrist and the, the false prophet. That's part of the reason I put that question in there about from our perspective, how will these two witnesses be the protagonists in the end time drama? You know, you've got the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they are clearly men that will be born on the earth, and they will be real problems. And right outside their front door, they've got the two guys that they would look at as the bad guys. And it just seems to me very fitting in the story that these are not two Old Testament characters that came from long ago and came back to, you know, make a point. I think it's very much like these four guys are going to grow up 
What if they went to Sunday school together? I mean, it's like, I, I, think, these, I think these two guys are very much human, and they're going to have a lot of human dynamics, and I think that's part of what gives us so much hope and strength for the Forerunner Church at the end of the age is we're looking at two dudes. We're looking at two people. And, uh, and I guess we could still get that with Moses and Elijah. If it's Moses and Elijah, I'm going to throw a big old party. I'm going to be the happiest guy. But, uh, but I, my sense is that there, there are two people in this generation that are going to grow up. So, but I will say, to Andy's point, there are varying thought processes on who these two guys are. So, uh, so great, great question. All right, Luke. Let's replicate. Get to tormenting. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we've got these two witnesses, and they are operating in authority, in the prophetic, in the message, and they're also operating in signs and wonders that are uh, uh, causing lots of problems and even death. How do we as a foreigner church, if we're seeing them as the primary two, uh, you know, uh, prophetic messengers, the two premier forerunners, what else do we learn and glean from them? When we enter into that hour, we're going to have already made ourselves bright and clean, ready for Jesus's return. There's going to be a measure of righteousness resting on the church. And I don't want to talk about righteousness in relationship to not doing bad stuff. I want to talk about righteousness in the thought process of renewed mind. I want to talk about righteousness in the thought process of partnership with the Holy Spirit, submission to God's will, his purposes. That's, that's the kind of righteousness that I'm mostly thinking of when I'm thinking about we've been prepared and made ready. Oh, and yes, also we're not doing crazy sins. But I'm mostly thinking we're in agreement with the man who's in charge. Now, right now, that is not wholesale the truth. Right now, the church, we got so much mixture, we're working through a lot of stuff, but the Lord is going to use all the problems, honestly. There's going to be so much persecution, so much pain, there's going to be so much problems in this last generation that the Lord is going to use the pressure cooker of that situation to create a pure and spotless bride. When the bride is spotless, the bride will be thinking very much in step with the Holy Spirit, and therefore we will be entrusted with power that we wouldn't mishandle. Right now, it'd kind of be like kids with guns, Okay. And that would not go over well for the church to be anointed with this level of power. But we're talking about a time period where the church is going to be refined, gone through the fire. That you know, we'll stand by the blood of the you know the testimony. We we will be uh, there'll be martyrs all around. We'll we'll be refined and walking with Jesus. And I think that there absolutely will be authority and power anointing the church. But let's also remember it's a praying church at the end of the age that's in submission and in concert with the purposes of God in that generation. So it's not like we're just rogue making up decisions and doing stuff. When we get anointed with power, we're going to be using that power according to his purposes in right manner and measure. And so, yes, with all that as the backdrop, we will absolutely be tormentors as well. We will be causing immense problems for the Antichrist and whatever government is standing against us in that hour. We need to be remembering the storyline is not we just like get beat up and then we go to heaven and yay we made it like we are going to be the powerful bride of christ on the earth operating in authority and clarity and righteousness 
That's the end time storyline, not we just kind of barely make it through the end times. We, we are absolutely going to be moving in power. So great question, great perspective. That was great. Caitlin. Ooh. Yeah. Hard to argue with that statement. I think you're right. I'm wrong. That was that was right on. the The question was related to the timing of all this. It says at the uh, end of Revelation. Nope. It says at Revelation 11 verse 14, right after the events of the two witnesses. Says the second woe is passed. We know there's three from a previous passage that we read in Revelation 9. It says that there's three woes. The second woe is passed. The third woe is still coming. And we've seen the third woe being the second coming of Christ at the tail end of the seventh trumpet. So that would then say here, and I'll go back and look at it and spend some time and kind of meditate on it, but that, that seems to be a pretty debunking statement that the second woe is passed, but the third woe, the second coming of Christ, has not happened yet. It's still going to happen in a minute or five or 50. And so that then meant my whole theory about the wrapping around the world thing is probably not right, at least in the timing of that. So that, that seems solid to me. That seems right. Yeah, great question. Um, who else? Over here? Daniel. Yeah. Great question. All right, so uh, the two witnesses can call down any plague as often as they want. Any plague as often as they want. But while the two witnesses are prophesying the 1260 days, the great tribulation is happening. The seals are happening. The trumpets are happening. These are some big-time events. They're big-time judgments. The question is, is there a measure of in tandem? Are they exclusive? Are they separate events? So when the two witnesses get to prophesying something bad, are those separate bad events? Or are they the same bad events as the seals and the trumpets? Or is there a mixture of the two? Uh, so here would be my thought process on that. Uh, there's, I just feel like there's no reason to add in there. They can, they can do whatever they want as often as they want if all they will ever do is only what's being done in the seals and the trumpets. So I think that there's, there's definitely cause to say there will absolutely be additional material that they will be prophesying. Now, how much will they be in tandem to what's occurring uh, in the book of Revelation in the storyline of the seals and the trumpets? If I'm those guys and I know the Bible, I'm for sure going to partner with the word. I mean, if you're seeing seals and trumpets, it's like, hey, today is trumpet four. Let's do it. You know? So, I mean, I, I think that makes sense. But at the same time, it says as often as they want. And so there's a measure of that whole free will. What are you about today? Well, you know what? What is, there's a measure of that that, that uh, seems to also, it says to strike the earth with plagues as often as they want. So many of the plagues related to uh, the seals and the trumpets are, are, uh, it, are across the world, but not necessarily striking the entire earth simultaneously. You know, a great example, a third of the rivers, a third of the this. A third, but it says they've got the opportunity to be able to strike the earth. So I think that there's, 
they'll, I, I would think that there's a measure of partnership, but it's not exclusively in any way. It's not exclusively to the seals and the trumpets. I think that the majority of their ministry will be outside of those events. Lastly, on the seals and the trumpets, I think it's the forerunner church in partnership in prayer, knowing our Bibles, watching the storyline unfold. The church that says the spirit and the bride say come, and that's actually when he comes. I think that same church and that same authority is going to be praying in the seals and praying in the trumpets in agreement in the timing of what the Lord's doing. Because we will be in concert with him, seeing what's written in the word and knowing what's next. And in partnership, how in the world could we know the will of God for sure we know what God wants to do tomorrow. And nobody who is praying people pray in agreement with what we know God wants to do tomorrow. Of course we will be. Of course we'll be praying. So I think that the, the bulk of what's occurring related to the seals and the trumpets, the church will have a measure of partnership in that, in the place of intercession. And I think that's part of the whole purpose that we saw in the uh, Revelation chapter 8, and, you know, the fire uh, from the altar being thrown to the earth and the impartation that comes in that. So, yeah, a lot of words, Lord help. Okay. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.